Welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. Hey friends, I'm Bob Thune from Quamdale Church. I'm here with Pastor Chris Hemelman of First City Church. Dusty White is not with us again for yet another Wednesday. But on Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. On this podcast, we tackle scriptural topics, we tackle cultural topics, we tackle leadership topics. We tend to think about the intersection of the gospel and the church and culture. Today, we're talking about this question. What did you expect to be hated for? Hey, before we jump in, though, can I just do one thing? I just want to highlight, this is the second episode in a row. The Dusty is gone and I'm here. And I know Dusty liked to throw a lot of shade at me when I was gone during the fall. You get a lot of payback right now. So Dusty, where are you at, man? Where are you at? I'm here. You're not. Come on, man. A lot of payback right now. I love it. I love that vindictive payback. Yeah, Dusty, go ahead and come back to the podcast. If you're out there listening, we'd love to have you back on here. We've got an open seat for you. Dude, Christmas break is over. (laughs) It's been over for like a month. Get, Get back here. This uh, topic was teed up by an article that Chris sent to us and said, hey, I thought this um, raised some interesting questions. So let me get us into the topic this way. Jesus' most famous teaching is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And one of the famous things Jesus says in that famous sermon is this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you might say it this way, Jesus is setting up his disciples, all of us who follow him, to expect that, you know what? Sometimes people are going to hate us. Sometimes people are going to persecute us. Sometimes people are going to oppose us. He's saying they did that to the prophets. We follow a savior who was crucified and died. And so we should not be surprised that we experience opposition. And so in a sense, every disciple of Jesus needs to expect that. And for most of us who came to faith at younger ages when we were still in school, whether that was, you know, middle school, high school, college, you remember what it was like to sort of experience the opposition of certain classmates or friends who just felt like, man, why are you a Christian? Like, that's lame. And so for those of you who come took faith later in life, maybe that takes a different shape. Maybe it's family or, you know, peers at work who are your main opponents. But for many of us who sort of came to faith at the same time that we were going through all the transition from childhood to adulthood, we can remember, oh yeah, man, that was, there were some tough moments of, you know, having to be a Christian in a, in a locker room full of non-Christians or in a sorority house full of non-Christians or in a friend group where people were just very opposed to Christianity. And that's sort of the, this experience of the author of this article. This is from a Substack piece by Reese Laverty. He says, when I was in secondary school, 2004 to 2011, simpler times, dear reader, I think there were generally three things which would rile people up when it came to my faith. The first was the exclusivity of the gospel, telling people that we were all sinners in need of saving, whose good works counted for nothing and who could only be saved by faith in Christ offended even the sensibilities of my fellow teenage boys. The second, the second thing um, that would rile people up was personal piety. I doubtless was not as good a witness on this score, but in God's goodness, my relatively pious lifestyle was evident enough to generate a good deal of mockery. Just being different generates mockery. I was just talking to one of my kids recently and they were like, yeah, the the people at work think I'm weird because I don't cuss all the time. I'm like, well, 
cool. Welcome to being a Christian. You know, like it's okay to, uh, to stand out for that reason. That's an example of a pious kind of a certain kind of piety that generates mockery. The third Laverty goes on to write was personal love for Jesus. <laughs> the most mockery I ever received was after introducing some friends to DC talks, Jesus freak while on a school residential. That classic, was, classic. Perhaps Christian. not the best idea. <laughs> The idea of expressing specific and personal devotion to Jesus of Nazareth, of saying something like, I love Jesus, or I'm a Jesus freak, was just too much. He, he says, it was quite meta, really, sitting there as a Christian, being mocked for listening to a song about being mocked for being a Christian. <laughs> but that's a great line. Yeah. So what he's saying is, hey, um, you know, as a teenager... Here's the three things people, you know, sort of opposed me for. One, the exclusivity of the gospel. Two, my sort of personal piety. And three, love for Jesus. And he says, you know what? Most Christians probably have some stories like that. Like if you ask like, yeah, what does my family oppose? Or what do my friends sort of mock me for? It probably is one of those three things. I don't know. Is that true for your story, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. The personal love for Jesus reminded me of a story. When I was in ninth grade, I had this book that was uh, one of those... Um, historical fictions about the life of Jesus. And I, for the life of me, cannot remember the name of it, but I had my stack of books. I was sitting in class, you know, in those old school, like desk chairs, he had like a little basket under the chair where you'd stick your extra books. And I had it sitting on the top there while I was in class and the kid sitting next to me, like looked down and he noticed and he started laughing and he goes, what is that book? And he grabbed it and he started kind of like mocking me for having this book. And I, I was relatively good friends with him. So it wasn't like cruel, but he was definitely laughing at me for having it. And so it just reminded me of that experience. I remember my first, well, my second job out of college when I, you know, when I, I had graduated and my wife and I were engaged and she was the year behind me was uh, selling cars at a car dealership. Wow. And so it's a very, you know, it's a very competitive environment and a very masculine environment and a very crass environment. And those guys just, could not reconcile the fact that I love Jesus. Like they were just, that to them was like a completely different world that made no sense. And so they, I mean, they mocked me for months. And then like once I earned enough of their trust and mm -hmm. appreciation, they sort of softened a little bit, but they sort of softened in a way that was just like, okay, I guess you're just weird. Like it wasn't yeah. like, hey, tell me what you believe. It was more like, I've gone from hating you to just like thinking you're just kind of weird. Yeah. But you know, uh, same story, I think. I can relate to that idea of just like, yeah, these guys have no category for someone who actually thinks that like Jesus really is a person worth giving my life to. They just did not compute. Another story. I don't know if this was the best way to deal with getting laughed at for being a Christian, but one time in, uh, I think it was basketball practice. Yeah. Basketball practice. Uh, I was, we were, you know, kind of just going through drills and yeah, you know, I kind of talk and whatever. And, and another kid, again, who was, uh, we were kind of friends. So his, he wasn't like, cruelly joking, but he, he kind of made this joke and he's, he's like something, something, something church boy, call me church boy. And I looked at him and I go, yeah. And church boy starts over here, doesn't he? And everybody, <laughs> it was just like that. One of those, like everyone Dang. just was like, Oh, and so I'm like, I don't know if that was the most godly way to respond to someone mocking me, but he didn't mock me after that yeah. <laughs> anymore. That's so good. sometimes a man needs, you know, a boy needs to stand up for himself with a little bit of uh tit for tat. So Reese Laverty says, Christians then have long been reconciled to people hating us on account of grace. But now the world is changed. We no longer live in a world which simply hates grace. 
we live in a world which hates nature. And understanding this fact is one of the most urgent priorities in Christian discipleship today. This is a fascinating statement. I think it's just that little hooky piece of people used to hate us for grace. Now they hate us for nature is a really provocative thought. And I think that's sort of what spurred this for you, Chris, was just like, this is an interesting thought to talk about. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you, Chris, kind of build out what he means by that. But that's the, if you're as a listener, the essential thing I want you to clue into is that what he is proposing is that for most of the past, what people mocked Christians for or hated Christians for was grace. And now we live in a world where what they hate us for is nature. What does he mean by that? So the acknowledgement of human nature that males are males, females are females, that men and women alone should be, you know, married, have kids. So so the acknowledgement of what for millennia was just acknowledged as basic human nature. Uh, we now as Christians are mocked for affirming. And, and I think what was provocative for me about this, it was two things. One is just how clearly sort of articulates, Hey, this is, this is the sort of the battle line. It's another one of those articles that's trying to bring clarity to our particular cultural moment of saying where the lines of persecution are going to be experienced and how that shift is actually something that I don't know we have thought through. I, I know when I read this article, I'm like, I don't think I would necessarily thought through it to, to a certain degree the way he has. I'm like, yeah, I know that this is real. But he, well, what he highlights is, is that within our experience of persecution and the offense of the gospel, that we, we're often, you know, as we evangelize, we are trying to remove stumbling blocks. Like we don't want to be offensive. We want the gospel to be offensive. And so we've learned as Christians in this culture, how to minimize offense and to be winsome. And, and I think there's good to that in a lot of ways, but how to do that. Like when we, when we were persecuted for grace, we kind of had clear categories for that. We've done a lot of the evangelism trainings and we've had decades of kind of learning how to navigate when that's a line of persecution. But in today's society, when we're hated for nature, for standing up for what it means to be a man or a woman, to acknowledge that there are certain biological realities, there's natural law that we don't necessarily know how to handle the persecution there. Mm. And, and so when we have entered into that space of like, how do I re uh, remove offense? Because I want the, I only want the gospel to offend that when it comes to this situation, uh, we're like, well, what does that look like? And I think one of the best examples of this is the pronoun issue. Like you will have some Christians that, that they're not going to, they're going to say, Hey, it's okay that someone changes their pronouns, but in order to love them well, in order to not be offensive and, and put a stumbling block in the way of the gospel, then we should sort of honor that, that, that choice that they're making. We don't agree with it, but we're going to honor that. And I think that's an example of this. If we don't know how to necessarily deal with the persecution of being persecuted for nature and not grace. So what's in, yeah, what's interesting there is most of us, if you ask, you know, the reason the title of the article is what did you expect to be hated for is going back to Matthew five to the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. When we think like when I'm raising my kids and saying like, Hey, what should you expect? People are going to, you know, disagree with you about, well, they're, they're not going to love that you follow Jesus. They're not going to love, you know, the, the personal piety that you might display. And they're not always going to love the gospel. You're going to meet people who 
the, you know, the message of the gospel, the fact that they're a sinner who needs to trust in Christ for salvation is going to be offensive to them. And because that's the construct that we've sort of all operated in of like, hey, expect that what you're going to be hated for is the exclusivity of the gospel. Yeah. That's, in a sense, we expect that. We've, we, we knew we were signing up for that. The new world that we live in is, I didn't expect to be hated for thinking that only boys have penises. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, that. that's, I think that's what makes our heads kind of explode. It's like, hold on, you're telling me that, like, now, now it's not the exclusivity of the gospel that you think is offensive. It's the fact that I don't think you can change your gender or that give it, that there's a given sexuality that human beings have that's binary. Those are the things yeah. that we are hated for. And that is a paradigm shift. And I, I think to your, to what you just said a few minutes ago, his naming of that is really helpful to say, Oh yeah, that's why it feels weird. Cause we're used to being hated for grace and for the gospel, not for just like basic givenness of reality. Yeah. Yeah. I have been saying for a couple of years now to pastors that one of the things we need to do in our preaching is preach creation, not just redemption, because the gospel is a restoration of what God originally intended for the world, Genesis 1 and 2. And that we that part of the problem is if we're only preaching categories of redemption, you're a sinner that has been saved by Jesus and not categories of creation. There is a creator God who made you in his image then, then we're missing a key part of the gospel. Reese Laverty in this article makes a very similar point that I thought was really helpful. He says, the Christian faith requires certain claims about reality and creation as well as claims about the gospel. We, speaking of some evangelicals, modern evangelicals, we have jettisoned the well-established biblical traditions of natural theology and natural law. That is the belief that there are things we human beings, Christian or not, can know about God and morality without the aid of special revelation. So by giving that away, by, by not doing work in the category of just like, what's true, to, what's true for every human being? He's saying we, we haven't built a proper sort of foundation and doctrine of creation that, that sort of then doesn't help us preach the gospel. Yeah, and this, this is what is so interesting is when these are the lines of persecution— because it doesn't sound outright Jesus-y or gospel-y, yes. Yes. We, we think, oh, well, I can, I can sort of back off or I can tone right. down. I don't actually have to necessarily take a direct, bold stance there. Pronouns aren't a gospel issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Where he's trying to argue, actually, they are, just not in the way that you might necessarily think because of the way that we've been trained in our evangelism and to think about persecution, where he's, like, to your point, we need to take a step back and go more foundational with issues of creation. And the way he put it is that, that now, you know, the persecution comes by saying Jesus is the creator and has authority over his creation. So that, again, that was like, oh, this is what I, I have had conversations. I've taught into this as far as trying to bring clarity to the issues. But now as, as a way of like equipping for mission for evangelism, but also this expectation of, hey, when you find yourself in this conversation, you actually have to tell yourself and remind yourself, this is actually a gospel issue. And you should um, take stands in the same way that you would take stands in the gospel. Yeah, do it lovingly. And and don't, don't you personally be the stumbling block. Let it be the stumbling block of truth. But you have to put this stumbling block in front of them because it is a gospel issue. Let me read his concluding paragraph, which makes the point you just made. 
Christians should expect to be hated for Christ. He has told us as much. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. John 15, verse 18. Yet, the Christ who said this is himself the creator, the logos by whom all things were made. And so to be hated because of nature is to be hated for Christ's sake, just as much as being hated for grace is. If we do not grasp this fact, stressing it to ourselves, our churches, and our children, then we will not be ready for the days ahead. Yeah. That's a powerful observation. Yeah. yeah. And it, it it's built out of Christology. He's saying this Christ who is our Redeemer is also the Logos, the eternal creator, the one who is one with the Father. And that should that theological reality then should ground our understanding that when we are hated for nature, for creational categories, we are being hated for Christ. Another uh, point that he makes here is he, he gets into this uh, sort of age-old debate about are Christians actually hated for being Christians or because they're actually not acting like Christians. And, and I think he does a good job of acknowledging, hey, there have been times where the church has not acted like Christ and we have skeletons in our closet or we have, you know, th- those moments we should not be proud of. But to, to automatically sort of default to that criticism that, that really what Christians are persecuted for today is because we're an act, not acting like Christ is to be naive. And I, I, that's another thing that I, I think is important for us. Do you want to go be, ahead and name check Russell Moore here? Since, since <laughs> he does in the article. I wasn't going to necessarily name check Russell Moore. Because we're not trying to yeah. stir up a fight. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, Reese Laverty uses this example of an article or an, um, an interview that Russell Moore did with The Atlantic, where he made this statement that more often than not, Christians are hated not for how Christian we are, but for how unchristian we yeah. are. Yeah. And that Moore is making the point that like, the problem is that Christians aren't being Christian enough. We're being unchristian. We're not acting in line with our profession. Yeah. And Laverty is saying, I'm not sure yeah. that's yeah. the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think what's, the, how this connects is, I think so often, again, because this issue of nature can feel different than than grace, that if this also is a narrative that we have playing, that we're acting unchristianly, we can associate that defending nature as somehow falling into this category of not acting Christianly or, or being a stumbling block. And I think we just need to be clear, hey, what, to whatever degree there is truth to that, that is not the biggest issue in our culture right now. That is not the significant reason we are being okay, good. persecuted. Me, and this, I think this is a dividing line. This is an important, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name check Russell Moore again. Okay, I I, I'm him. fine I name checking him, him, but. I love him, but I think this is what Laverty says, okay? All Christian traditions, evangelicalism included, have things to be ashamed of. Yeah. And so Moore's point is doubtless true some of the time. But as a governing principle, for understanding Christian persecution today, Moore's diagnosis is dangerously mistaken to the point of naivety. It makes sense neither of high-profile stories of Christian persecution or of the experience of most Christians on the ground. Yeah, That's an important statement. What he's saying is, hey, of course, Christians have things to, that they should be ashamed of. But that's not the governing. If you're saying the only thing Christians are hating for is is being unchristian, no, 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 Doctor Moore, you're missing the yeah. experience of most people on the ground, which is like yeah. when my kids go to school, they're not hated for being unchristian. Yeah, they're hated for believing in nature. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> not too many non-Christians going, be more like Jesus. Right. <laughs> and, and typically when it, when that does happen, it's who, who's actually acknowledging that I'm not being like Jesus. It's, it's not the non-Christians, but. Yes. And so I think this is important because I, I see, you know, I, I appreciate Russell more, but some of the, he, some of the cases he makes in the broader culture just are starting to fall more and more flat yeah. because it feels yeah. like, Hey, you keep, you keep trying to act like it's that we voted for Trump in 2016. That's the problem. And that, you know, we're Christians aren't loving enough of their neighbors. Actually, zero people in my church are getting beat up at work or school because they're not nice to people. They're all getting beat up because they believe in maleness and femaleness. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't believe that people can choose their own gender and they don't believe that, you know, you can sort of make up whatever identity you want. Uh, those are the things for which Christians right now today are outsiders yeah. and are persecuted. Yeah. And to not, not acknowledge that feels like it's missing the point. Yeah. Um, and so I think Lavery is naming something here that's, that should be really helpful to the average Christian trying to work an average job and live in an average neighborhood and go to an average school. It's just like, yep, you're hated now for your fundamental beliefs about what it means to be a human being about what it means to live in a world created by God and about what it means to have an essential human nature. And you should embrace that those being hated for those things is being hated for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yep. It's not just that when you start to say, Hey, Chris, did you know you're a sinner and only Jesus can save you? That's not the moment at which you need to fear <laughs> that people are going to start opposing you. They've already opposed you for your beliefs about what is. Yeah. And that's just as much opposition to Christ as opposition to the actual message of the gospel itself. Yeah. And to go back to the topic we did last week and the importance of clarity here. And I think this is what I love about this article is trying to bring clarity, not just to the issue itself, but to the, the clarity of this is what is happening. This is what you're getting persecuted for. And to, to tell Christians, Hey, look, this is a gospel issue. And so it's okay. It is good for you to take this stand to be clear. Yeah. Be loving, be Christ-like, but stand, be bold, be clear and stand on that biblical truth and preach the gospel from that. Amen. So if you're a listener, I hope you receive courage from that. I hope that puts a little strength in your backbone. If you're raising kids in this world, I hope you encourage them, fill them with courage by the reminder that yes, they are going to be hated, not just for what they say about Jesus, but for what they say about what it means to be a human. Embracing that this is the nature of opposition and what it looks like right now is crucial and important. And to your point, Chris, when we think about where should where where is it okay for the sake of evangelism to give ground or to come down come someone's way, you know, or to not oppose them for the sake of winning a chance to talk to them about Christ. The answers to those questions that used to work for the past 50 years probably aren't working anymore. Um, we need to be way more careful and thoughtful about what are we giving away when we give away things like pronouns yeah, or when we give away things like marriage or when we give away things like, is there an essential human nature? These are first tier gospel issues, not second tier cultural issues that we can give or take. Yeah. And um, Christians having clarity on that is very, very important to living on mission in the modern world. 
Well, Chris, thanks for sending the article. This is actually a Substack piece. Um, we'll link it in the uh, show notes in case you want to go read it. Again, as a Substack piece, you can read it for free. Uh, you can subscribe to Reese Laverty's Substack, but there's always a way that you can just read this particular article without subscribing. So we'll link it in the notes. As a reminder, the goal of the Wednesday conversation, the reason we do this podcast in the first place, is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, thanks for listening in. As always, we pray that this conversation will be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from our listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, or you just want to give us some applause, send an email to podcast at cvomaha.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.